Our scripture this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Open our hearts and minds, O God, to the word just read and the words to come, that they might point to the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ, the baby in the manger. Amen. During Advent, we are looking at the journey to Bethlehem through the Christmas characters of that great drama produced by God. I read an interesting article by Keith Anderson who writes how the Advent journey to Bethlehem is like his journey on the Camino de Santiago, also known as the Way of St. James. The Camino is a 500-mile trail that begins in France and winds through Spain, ending at the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostelo, the tomb of St. James. And these slides must be from an old something, so we could probably just turn them off. <laughs> Sorry, there are some good things, but you're not going to see them today. As some of us are taking a small pilgrimage on the Appalachian Trail this May, I wanted to share the five points of this article, which I found to be beneficial for our journey to Bethlehem, even for those of us who will never don a pack or hiking boots. First, mind your feet. The pilgrim's number one concern is the state of their feet, avoiding blisters and managing soreness so that we can complete the journey. A good pair of shoes and foot care routine is essential. I have heard that this is true for seniors in care centers as well as for hikers. During Advent, Mind your steps, both physical and spiritual. Notice the touch of your feet against the ground. One of my friends in a Bible study challenged us to try to walk lightly in our house. You might be surprised at how this simple awareness will lift your spirits. Be kind, be gentle, tend to yourself, make sure that you rest along the way. Second, just turn it off. It's like distracting. It's not the right slideshow. It's a good one. I should do that one maybe, but thank you so much. Okay. 
I don't know if it's distracting for you. Maybe it helps keep awake. Let's see. <laughs> Number two, pack light. No lighter. Many pilgrims on hikes and in life pack too much for the journey because what they are really packing are their fears. Fears about what might happen, what they might need, fear of the unknown, fear of not finishing. What are you carrying that you can let go of this Advent? What is unnecessarily weighing you down? Could it be the burden of worry? Or perhaps of having to be right? How about your obsession with trying to be worthy? How might you lighten the load? Remember to leave some room in your pack for the gifts of the season, hope, peace, joy, and love. Number three, go slow, no slower. One morning when Keith was struggling on the Camino, a couple of pilgrims from Portugal shared some paradoxical advice with him. If you go slow enough, you will get there. Up until this point, he had been thinking, as we all often think, if I go far and fast enough, I'll get there. How can you slow down this advent rather than rushing through it? Four, find good walking companions. On the Camino and in life, good walking companions can make all the difference in getting through tough days, noticing what's around you, and helping you reflect on why you're here. The holidays can certainly expose our longings and our laments. Who are your traveling companions this Advent? How can we help one another reflect on the hopes and the longings that we bring to this season? Finally, the destination matters. Common wisdom says that it's all about the journey, not the destination, which is usually true. On the Camino, however, the destination really does matter. After all of your preparation and your walking, you want to make it to Santiago on your own two feet. Our destination this Advent is the manger in Bethlehem. That destination shapes and focuses our entire journey, a journey towards the very heart of God. And this is where we encounter the scared but courageous teenage girl and her perplexed and equally scared fiancé. Mary and Joseph are the epitome of acting the part in a play that they didn't write. I wouldn't call them puppets on a string because they had a choice. God doesn't seem to be in the business of forcing us into faith nor keeping us here against our will. So Joseph could have had Mary stoned for her pregnancy outside of marriage. I suppose Mary didn't have a lot of choices as a first century woman, but I imagine she could have run away or hurt herself or her unborn baby. Instead, both Mary and Joseph chose to trust God. To trust that God was using them for a purpose even beyond their wildest comprehension. We would be wise to not underestimate God's relentless pursuit of us or the persistent and creative ways that God uses to invite us to join in on the journey. Make no mistake about it, 
Mary and Joseph did not plan this part of their life. As if in Mary's journal we would find goals for year zero. Give birth to the Savior of the world in a manger in Bethlehem. Check. No, no, no. Something so much bigger than Mary and Joseph were at work. Things that were far beyond their imagination and control. The lack of control they had in their life was demonstrated again by the executive orders of the ruler of the land. Luke sets his story amid a census. The act of ordering, that is, registering, counting, and taxing everyone. All the world jumps and runs to be enrolled. This is the impact of, royal, of Roman domination. One man, one Roman man can, as long as he's Caesar Augustus, issue an order and throw the world into motion. Our world is also in motion, isn't it? We don't have as much control as we like to think we have, despite the enormous amount of time and energy we spend planning and managing as many of the variables in our life that we can. We too are thrown into motion and may find ourselves in the most inconvenient circumstances. Untimely pregnancy, untimely layoff, untimely car accident, untimely fall, untimely diagnosis. And then, like Mary and Joseph, we are on a journey we never imagined ourselves to be on. This reminds me of Timothy Alexander, whose friends call him T.A. T.A. was a high school student living with his mom in Alabama when an electrical fire erupted in their home, burning their furniture, their photographs, their clothing, and nearly all of their personal possessions. Fortunately, no one was at home, but the Alexander family lost everything they owned. It was truly devastating. They were displaced for quite a while, and T.A. worked hard to secure help from the Red Cross and from their insurance policy. Needless to say, Things were tight. T.A. knew that he needed to get back to high school to keep up with his grades so he could continue playing football in hopes of getting a scholarship for college. When he finally returned to school, T.A. realized that he was not alone in his crisis. Jonathan Keyes, a fellow student, heard of T.A.'s tragedy and he decided he had to help. Jonathan began to raise funds from the students and staff at Irwin High School and others in the Birmingham community. He quickly rounded up $5,000 and gave it to T.A. to help his family get new clothes, toiletries, and other necessities to survive. Not the journey he had planned to be on, but this unexpected act of kindness and generosity marked T.A. And he still recalls it with gratitude and humility. He determined that he too wants to be a positive influence on others for the rest of his life. This gift gave him hope to carry on. And sometimes that's all we need to keep going. For God to give us just a little hope, that spark of light in the darkness. Because deep down we know already, but we are afraid to admit even to ourselves 
these lives that we've so carefully created are so beautiful, precious, and wonderful, but also so very, very vulnerable, fragile, and ultimately insufficient. Even the best of lives is filled by measures of regret and disappointment. And if we take a moment to gaze around, we'll see how many people lead lives that are difficult, painful, and all too short. If a bit of darkness is creeping into your life and you are needing some hope, listen to this familiar passage from the first chapter of the Gospel of John coming from a less familiar translation, the Voice Bible. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. The celestial word remained ever-present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Immersed in the practice of creativity, all things that exist were birthed in Him. His breath filled all things with a living, breathing light a light that thrives in the depths of darkness, blazes through murky bottoms. It cannot and will not be quenched. This light that shines in the darkness is, of course, the Christ child that Mary is carrying. But we, too, have been breathed into being with a glimmer of that light. Now we know that Advent is a time of waiting and preparing for the birth of Christ, the light of the world. But one question I struggled with this week is that we know that Jesus has already come, so what are we really waiting for? Perhaps God is hoping we will awaken to what is already here. I love the poem by Ann Weems called The Coming of God. Our God is the one who comes to us in a burning bush, in an angel's song, in a newborn child. Our God is the one who cannot be found locked in the church, not even in the sanctuary. Our God will be where God will be with no constraints, no predictability. Our God lives where our God lives, and destruction has no power, and even death cannot stop the living. Our God will be born where God will be born. But there is no place to look for the one who comes to us. When God is ready, God will come, even to a God-forsaken place like a stable in Bethlehem. Watch for you know not where God comes. Watch that you might be found whenever, wherever God comes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that Advent creates people, new people. Mary is carrying Jesus in her womb about to birth a new person. Could we too be carrying the light of the world within us? If God will go to a God-forsaken place like a stable in Bethlehem, might God also come to a God-forsaken place like me? Could it be that Christ not only came to earth through Jesus, 
but is still coming through to this day by and through those who awaken to the gift and answer the call. Accepting the gift of this inner glimmer awakens us to a God that we can emerge with, have faith in, and give our trust to, all while, listen, all while learning God is putting life, love, faith, trust, and hope in us. Imagine it. We are becoming the fullness of Christ. We are the vehicles of such a love here and now. We become the love that breaks through, remains, moves through time and space, wears our humanity, and leads us journey towards God, who leads us towards ourself, and then towards one another. This is what happened when a young boy ran into the library to return his books. When he came out, his bicycle was gone. Evidently, someone had stolen it. The little boy was just beside himself saying how his mother had given him his bike and she doesn't have a lot of money and I know there's no way that she could get him another one. Well, several people had seen the boy crying, including some tree trimmers who were working nearby. As they mused about how this bike could go missing so quickly, the police showed up. They all stood around and listened to how this boy would come to the library each week and take lots of books home to read and would return them promptly the next week to come back later with his mom to get some more. The police officer assured the boy that he would explain to his mom what had happened and that things would be okay. As the officer comforted the upset boy, the tree trimmers all reached for their wallets and began to pull out the cash that they had with them. One thing led to another, and soon other people were pulling out their cash to make donations to help replace the stolen bike. The police officer agreed to drive the boy home, pick up his mom, explain what had happened, and to take them to the next town to buy a bike. The little boy just kept saying thank you to everyone as he got into the police cruiser, smiling from ear to ear with relief and gratitude. And you know, there was not a dry eye among those tough men who had been trimming trees, or among the strangers whose hearts were warmed by this little light that was shining in the darkness. Remember T.A. who lost his home in the fire? Well, that wasn't the only thing that he lost that year. Timothy's second tragedy struck while he was en route to a football game. He was in a horrific car accident that threw him from the vehicle and left him paralyzed. What made this especially heartbreaking is that T.A. was a highly recruited athlete in high school on his way to a Division I football scholarship. Now he would live life in a wheelchair as a paraplegic, never again playing the game that he loved. Timothy Alexander lost a lot, but he never lost hope. The hope that came from love being poured out after progressing through rehab, T.A. continued to work out as though he were still a football player. Believe it or not, he worked so hard without the use of his legs that he still made the football team at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Coaches said they wanted his work ethic and positive attitude on their team, even if he could never play a down. 
This young man in a wheelchair got a football scholarship. He worked out with the team every day during college as he carried the light of hope and encouragement. I don't know what life's crushing load you might be carrying on the journey, but as Harriet Tubman said, if you are tired, keep going. If you are scared, keep going. If you are hungry, keep going. If you want to taste freedom, keep going. Because on the journey to Bethlehem, we might just bump into a pilgrim who is carrying the light. <laughs>